Hello and welcome Grow Beyond Podcast listeners. I'm excited that you're tuning in and in the coming four weeks, I actually have something very special for you, a cooperation with the wonderful Future of Leadership Salon. The Future of Leadership Salon is a very special format. It brings together 60 participants and six global thought provokers from really all around the world to have one crucial eye-to-eye conversation about human-centric leadership for a thriving tomorrow. It's a very great and special format and this year takes place in Düsseldorf on the 4th of July. I had the pleasure to already interview four of the thought provokers and share with you their view on leadership and a thriving tomorrow. We will start with Stefan today, who is a nationally renowned personal innovation strategist, business thinker and executive coach, and also a serial entrepreneur. In 2013, he founded, I think, his last business, The Human Innovation Garage, which engages C-suite executives, senior business leaders, and fastly growing organizations to regain time and create essential relationships. He is a TEDx speaker and has been featured in various business and education publications and also won the World Education Award for Visionary Leadership in Impacting Economic Development. You see, he's pretty awesome and a lot of stuff is going on. And so with no further ado, here is Stefan. I am very excited to welcome you, Stefan. Hello, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today and for taking time to talk to me about leadership. Thank you. Rana, it's fantastic to be here. I'm really excited to have listened to a lot of your podcasts and all the discussions about leadership and Uh, leadership presence and what we interpret to be leadership presence. So uh, super excited to be here and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, maybe you can also start off to give us a brief uh, introduction, a brief pitch about yourself and already tell us a little bit what your work has to do with leadership. Really over the last uh, two decades, I've, uh, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur and I always, as a, when I speak to groups, I always say three companies I talk about and three companies I don't talk about. Mm-hmm. A big part of my journey in entrepreneurship has been in uh, education technology and uh, global education technology. Um, and about five years ago, I started uh, the Human Innovation Garage, which really says everything what I do. Humans, innovation in a garage. Mm-hmm. Humans, obviously, is what makes the world go round. And every company, as small as big as they become, is about human beings and how we interact with each other and mm-hmm. how we listen to each other, how we empathize and how we uh, are compassionate with each other. Uh, the second piece being the innovation. Like um, I tell people always when I talk about, well, what is in- innovation? And what I define as innovation is when ideas have sex, mm-hmm. which is when you look at it in the context of there's all these beautiful things out there, but how can we configure them differently? And when we look at human beings, we look at it in terms of I have inherently brilliant pieces and beautiful pieces within me, but how can I align them differently and think about them differently and bring them to light and to shine differently? And the third piece being a garage, which is really a tool set of where we support through processes, through guided dialogue structures, and through exercises with individuals or teams to help them really see things which they may not recognize themselves. And that's kind of the gift I consider myself having in being able to have the passion, the privilege, and the gift to see uh, with extraordinary people, brilliant things, what they don't see, and helping them really to bring that to shine. Uh, and to light and to really employ it and to identify behavioral patterns 
what may not serve them so well anymore and to re-engineer some of those things. Cool. Thank you so much. You said you three companies you talk about, three three you don't talk about. Now I'm, of course, curious to find out, are you talking about the successful ones? Are you talking about unsuccessful ones? Or what are the three you talk about and the three you don't talk about? It, it depends who I talk to. Okay, uh, okay. I think, it's, I think it's important. I mean, talking about, you know, uh, we always talk about the things which make us uh, feel better about ourselves. I think uh, these days I talk a lot about narcissism in corporate culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think narcissism is about validation. It's like uh, saying something to people and seeing it comes back to you saying, yeah, you're really great. And mm -hmm. I think we tend to do that a lot. And we're trained to do that because... Society tells us, you know, tell everybody your good stories, but the things where we're vulnerable and open with, we don't talk so much about it. So I think mm. that's the key here. If it is helpful to tell people about the failures, because I think we, the word failure and the definition of success, those two words for most people don't fit into the same sentence. Mm. But when we think about where does success, we talk about, oh, wow, this guy's an overnight success, right? I mean, you know the stories and, and I've having spent a lot of time out in San Francisco um, uh, and to just for your listeners to put context, I'm currently in Boston on the East Coast. Um, but on the West Coast, you know, in the early 2000s, there was these overnight successes. Well, mm. there is no such thing as overnight success. We mm. hear about it when it suddenly becomes public story. But it takes a long time to get there. And a big part of that journey is having failures, making mistakes, recognizing the things and being willing to kind of like a a, a, a reflective exercise to say, you know what, this is what worked. This didn't work. How do we do it different? How do we do it? Not necessarily better because yeah. better is not always the way to go. It's just different. It's a different alignment. It's a different thought structure. Uh, it's a different interpretation and perspective of certain things. And that's yeah. where I think it's important to understand. There's time to talk about the great successes, which is the last company we, we deployed out of uh, uh, Boston. And then really the main deployment was out of Delhi uh, in India. Um, was a learning tablet company where we brought in open content from all around the world. So long before Stanford and other universities talked about uh, open content in 2007, 2008, uh, with help of Open Courseware Consortium, uh, we deployed uh, learning tablets into colleges and schools uh, with standardization help through the IITs. And I think that's a great success. But then there's other pieces where we, we did, where we did a Mad Libs uh, a, a smart policy manager uh, where people uh, could fill in, you know, details of their company rather than going to a lawyer. And we licensed that from someone, uh, which was a large company uh, out, of, out of Washington, D.C., who holds a lot of these employment policies uh, in their vaults, so to speak. And the licensing deal we made was terrible and basically took us out of business. So these are things where... Um, you know, there's, there's good experiences. And again, even an, an experience like that, what in, in retrospect, we may consider a failure. Well, the lesson learned, if you look at it from a business process, how do we get to the licensing deal? How did we do it? How do we progress on it? Who negotiated? How did we negotiate? Why did we negotiate? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a whole slew of kind of a maneuver critique, so to speak, uh, which can be applied, which is in, in different contexts and different moments, uh, very helpful, positive, negative, and different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, let's then then move into that direction. Exactly. You talked about, uh, you know, sometimes you have to talk about the the highlights and sometimes about the lowlights. And you have obviously held various leadership positions, leading teams as well in six different companies in your entrepreneurial ventures. So talking about leadership, is there something that you could share where you say this was really a highlight, highlight of my um, career as a leader? You know, I think the highlight was, uh, in, in retrospect, when I look at this, I think we, we take certain things for granted. We take for granted people uh, give us a voice and people allow us voice. And I think we take for granted uh, when we think about, you know, building uh, teams, um, allowing mentorship and, and allowing, just like you and I talking here, uh, we allow each other to be heard. We allow each other each other the space to be learning from each other. And I think that is... With every interaction today, what I look at, I'm really, when I sit on a plane, when I travel somewhere, when I have an opportunity to go to a different company or a different culture or a different country with different cultures, um, I, I'm, I'm really trying to remind myself to be really grateful for that. Mm. So in terms of personal experience of that, there have been moments today that I understand that I spoke earlier about narcissism. Yeah. There have been moments today where I understand that I think the the uh, the vulnerability the openness the honesty the the graciousness um, that we are required as senior leaders and organizations to show up with we mm -hmm. sometimes forget and we make it entitlement and so there's a few situations I, I look back at today and I say well maybe that I should have done that differently um, and and not because of I think we're so concerned and consumed with making decisions so people like us And we're concerned about not making decisions so people don't not like us. And I think that's the piece where I look back at maybe five, six, eight, ten years ago um, at some decisions I made, at the way I dealt with certain situations where I, in retrospect, wish maybe I've, I would have done it differently. And today, most certainly, I would do it differently. And, mm -hmm. and on the personal, you know, on the personal side, I think it's a similar journey. I think on the personal side, um, we sometimes take things take things for granted. Um, and we, we, uh, in retrospect, then sometimes have this hindsight is 2020 where we go, hmm, you know, that, that really, I didn't understand what that person was talking about. I didn't understand the pain I was causing, mm. uh, understand the consequence of it. And, uh, the, the big two words and I think in management and leadership, we need to talk about is blame and shame. Mm. I think it's very easy to say, well, it's, it triggered me, right? That's a great word in, in English. Like it triggered me. That means it's not my fault. I have nothing to do with it. You made me do that. Well, guess what? There is no such thing as you made me do it. There's always that moment. I talk a lot about self-awareness and radical self-awareness. Um, there's always that moment to, to kind of pull the brake and say, you know what? Um, th there's a moment for you to think about what is the choice you're making here and understanding the consequences. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I'm gonna I just, stop. I, I yeah. can go on and on and on with this piece. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna breathe for a moment. <laughs> um, breathe for a moment because I actually that that was also what I wanted to ask you from these lowlights or from these experiences where you say, oh, you know, I should have reflected differently. Or, um, maybe I should have taken different decisions. Have you yourself drawn some conclusions or found some ways for yourself when you are in these situations? Now you just spoke about self awareness, but is there something that you could recommend to the listeners? What what can I do if I find myself in these 
situations in terms of reflection or yeah, reflecting on my own behavior, trying to understand that the person that's in front of me, is there something, some, some actions you have developed yourself to take when you find yourself in these situations? I think it's about clarity, right? I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a famous book a lot of people uh, like to read, and it's a famous book here in, in the United States. It's called Start With Why. It goes back to yeah. the TED Talk, actually, by Simon Sinek. Yeah. yeah. And one of the three words which Sinek talks a lot about in this book is, um, by the way, he's a graduate from Brandeis, just up the street here. Um, mm -hmm. So it, he talks a lot about clarity, consistency, and discipline. And the word I want to really pick is clarity and clarity for ourselves. Mm. And I think a, a big part what we don't spend enough time on is really understanding for ourselves who we are. Mm. And, and that starts with some very foundational work of understanding what are your top five values? What are mm. your top 10 values? Which then leads directly also to boundaries. Mm. Giving, giving yourself the permission to say no. I literally have clients. I say to them, today I challenge you to say three times no to something. Mm. And this is not about, yeah. no, I don't want to help you. It's about set a boundary in terms of everything which is... Uh, influencing your life, your day-to-day -day schedule, and the things you make choices around. Mm -hmm. That could be as simple as a schedule, time management. Yeah. That could be as simple as making a priority from a, almost a personal mission statement, making time for your family and your children. Because yeah. we get so caught in that hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And then other consequences come out of that. Yeah, And we no, don't I realize it until it's too late. Yeah. No, I, I love this thing around clarity. And I also think saying no, of course, for your own clarity and also for your own, the energy you have, right? If you don't yep. divert your energy in all different directions, but just in one that you have clarity on and how much further you can get, because you get far in one direction, not a little in, in five, right? So yeah, yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, great. <laughs> And I think that's what it is. You know, I mean, it, it, we we the, the permission to live your values. It, it's not you don't ask for that permission. You 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 claim it. Mm. And I think that's a big part. And 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 you know, the courage to say what you think. And there's mm. a thing what I what I love to refer to. It's called radical candor, right? There's mm. radical self awareness, which is my thing. But then there's radical candor, which is genuine, which is caring. But you're being very direct. You're being very honest about it. And I think that's a big requirement in order to really make relationships, make companies, make cultures flourish and work. There needs to be empathy and compassion, but there also needs to be great honesty and truth. And that means me being able to say, you asked me earlier, you know, what are the mistakes? What are the errors? What are the failures? This is what I've done. But if mm -hmm. I have a, a culture of tolerance and embracement, and I have a culture of uh, really, uh, you know, kind of that that uh, that way of catching things as they happen, and the agility as an organization to be able to say, you know, let's go back and and do this differently, and that's part of the process. That's part of the culture. That's mm. what I think brings cultures of organizations to great success. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So that is already a very good lead over to, to the next uh, question because going a bit from the from the personal experience, from your personal experience, also the personal experience you shared now from some of your clients. If we take a bit more global perspective, a global view on on teams and companies, what do you think right now? Where do you see challenges that leaders are facing in the companies or organizations you are working with? 
You know, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge, which is the first time ever in history, is when you uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a leader who's uh, more on the on the on the older side or a younger side. The reality is, we have the first time in history four generations in the workforce, and that has never mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. been here before. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the 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 extreme piece here is this: that my generation and a little older, I think the biggest piece, and I talk a lot about this, is. The, the tolerance, we talked already about the tolerance of failure, but also the invitation to ask for help. Mm. My father's generation and my generation very much as well, and you probably relate to that as well, asking for help and asking someone else to help you or a group of people to help you or a community to help you um, has, in my time of growing up, has been a weakness. Well, you can do this by yourself. Go figure mm. it out. Mm. versus the young generation now the 20s and 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 i think the the one thing i want to say is we we talk about millennials and we we say it almost like it's a swear word oh these millennials <laughs> i think we're completely wrong about putting it this way i think millennials is the greatest opportunity for us as a society to learn from and really to have this gauge on the ground which says this is what's working and this is what's not working because we we look at them almost like they're you know a disruption and hell yes they're a disruption thank god they are mm-hmm. because the changes we need to see continuously the challenges we get from that generation the help the support the love the light and, and name every word beyond that what we get from them we really don't exercise it properly because again we have so many traditionalist approaches and here's to your question what is the challenge for leaders is to really engage that generation in our companies in the dialogue without feeling threatened. Mm. And that's where I see a lot of the traditionalist approaches is, well, I know best. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Mm. But create a dialogue structure which allows for input, create a forum, create the culture in a company where they're invited to contribute and they're not looked upon like, well, they're young, they don't know. Well, guess what? That's the generation we're catering to. That's mm. the generation of next leaders if they're not already our leaders. And if we define, you know, what is an invisible leader in an organization, a lot of these 25-year-olds and younger even sometimes, that's what they are. And when you yes. see the energy and you can harvest that energy and that gift and that, uh, that whole demeanor of I can do anything and you channel that the right way, let's call it for the sake of the discussion, that creative chaos with the right guidance, it is so immensely powerful. And I think that's, as an overall theme, that's where a lot of, I think, the disconnect of organization starts happening. Mm. Do you see a lot of, let's say, intergenerational conflict in the companies you're working with? I do. I do. Mm. Uh, and it's it's shifting because... You know, my work really focuses on the individuals and on identifying individual patterns of leaders and of, of uh, senior leaders and executives to really understand, um, you know, here is what's serving me and here's what's not serving me. How do we kind of mm. uh, uh, shift that energy a little bit and how we shift the perspectives here? Um, mm. So, But I do see it a lot. And I think, you know, we talked about education earlier. When we look at the education model and we look at kind of the traditionalist education, We talk at people. We don't mm. engage people in their own education. So this is why I think 
we see such a rise of sites like Coursera, Udemy, where you it's kind of self-service education. I'm going to go there to get what I need. Yeah. And uh, one company who started to really recognize that and 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 uh, as as longstanding of a of a, a blue chip company as they've been, it's quite fascinating. Is a company like IBM. Yeah. They've done a lot around uh, upskilling of their employees and upskilling to the new systems and procedures and policies and technology to say, you know what, we're not going to go hire new people. We're supporting people who've been with us a long time, also from a loyalty model, to bring them back into really relevance. And I think that's what it is. When we talk about relevance, we talk about relevance of the individual to the market, of the individual to other people, but also, frankly, technology. Technology is a big factor in that. Yeah, I just wanted to say that because I mean, I I agree with these, of course, different generations and they have different experiences, right? And the question is always how much can we blame, let's say, on the generation and on the circumstances that have changed, right? So how do the circumstances have changed for and still looking also, like you say, at the individual still in every generation who some might cope well with new flexibility and with different hierarchies and some might not. So what has changed around us that has an impact on that we are different now, right? So yeah. um, very interesting thoughts there. And I think you already answered that, that kind of next question of then what impact can leaders have on society? So you already mentioned a couple of things uh, in your answer to the, to the challenge. So what do you think are the key impact that leaders can really have um, globally seen on society with implementing these changes you spoke about? What is a leader, right? We, we're, we're very, very quick to say, oh, wow, mm. she's such a great leader. He's such a great mm -hmm. leader. Well, let's define leader. Just mm -hmm. because you have a business card and your business card says <laughs> CEO or chairman, that does not make you a leader And people take the business card and the title as the qualification to be a leader. The way mm -hmm. I like to define it and to kind of remind people on when we look at politics and we say, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of politicians. But if we really globally look at who are statesmen, that's the distinction between somebody who is a leader and somebody who is a manager. You can be a fantastic manager. You can mm -hmm. be a fantastic delegator, a taskmaster, making me do things, making sure like a project manager that things get done just a particular way. But leadership, the model shifts. Mm -hmm. Leadership is about service. Leadership is about support. And in the context of your question, talking about generational integration, let's mm -hmm. call them facili facilitators. Mm -hmm. The greater you can be a facilitator in your organization for culture shift, culture change, dialogue, inter, you know, kind of intergenerational dialogue, then better and then greater of a leader you are. And mm. that's what it's about. The organizations who have good dialogue structures and exceed at that and also listen to that dialogue and also capture the chatter within the organization, that's the companies who have really from the senior leadership uh, standpoint, they usually have great leaders. Because leaders don't perceive knowledge and competency of other people as threat. It took me almost until I was 40 years old to realize when I'm sitting in one of my own boardrooms, guess what? I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. Because if my marketing guy does not know more about marketing than I do, I'm paying the wrong person. Mm -hmm. And that is the piece where knowledge is power. But to a lot of senior executives, knowledge is threat. And mm -hmm. that's the shift we're seeing also going back to the collaborative dialogue, 
the collaborative engagement, intergenerational, if I'm able to really do that well, and I'm okay with that, and I'm embracing that, I am very comfortable also then with recognizing there's things I don't know. Yeah. And we don't know what we don't know. But bringing people in who may point out to me what I don't know and being ready for that, that's, in my opinion, on a very basic, fundamental, rudimentary, le rudimentary level, that's where great leadership starts. And that's the piece we're missing. Yeah. And and also it gets so much more important in the future, right? When our up knowledge is constantly updated and the half time of knowledge has become so short. And I think we all have to learn really no matter in what position also to dealing with not knowing, right? Like, and I think that's such an interesting, interesting shift in the future, right? You cannot yeah. know everything anymore. You cannot be an expert anymore in everything in, in your job because things just move so fast, right? So developing that skill. That's exactly right. I mean, I remember uh, in the early 2000s, I think it was 2001, I wrote an article for a legal magazine mm -hmm. uh, because at that time we were doing online learning and training uh, for in the United States in the late 90s, sexual harassment, discrimination, diversity was a huge topic. Mm. Obviously, is realiving with the whole uh, Me Too movement as well. Mm -hmm. But at that time, we we were building a compliance training company, and I remember, you know, I was writing an article about core competency at that time. Let's understand also as individuals what is my core competency? What am I really really good at? Mm. What am I really really strong at? And then let me augment my own skills and my skill set. And mm. let me augment my team accordingly. And let me augment my organization accordingly. But that takes realization of, uh, it's almost like a like an organizational self-awareness. If I'm able to create organizational self-awareness and being able to say, this is what we're really good at, and this is what we really not so much are good at. Yeah. So what do we do to augment this part of our incompetency? And being able to admit that, saying, well, you know, we're not good at this. So let's partner with somebody or let's bring somebody in or let's outsource this somewhere. And that is really, I think, the opportunity from a globalization standpoint also, where we have so many resources now available, which are not just down the street, around the corner, you know, or next door over or the next city over. I can reach out from Boston to Australia to Sydney to Perth. Mm -hmm. I can reach out to Delhi. I can reach out to Mumbai. Um, I can reach out to, to Nairobi. And yeah. these are the things which we need to realize where global um, competition is significant, but competition also keeps us sharp, right? It keeps us crisp mm -hmm. and it keeps us looking to the next level uh, without being, uh, you know, without being nasty about it in, in the context of competition, but invite competition because that keeps you sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you have already so many good quotes I could print on my wall here about um, the importance of saying no. Um, we also the the who are we and what are our values and starting with why. There are a lot of things I will also link in the show notes so people can actually follow up and, and read a bit more because that was yeah, so dense, uh, everything we discussed. I have a final question for you, which is in regards to the future of Leadership Salon. And in cooperation with the Future of Leadership Salon is also this podcast. And it's happening on the 4th of July in Düsseldorf. 60 participants from all over the world meet uh, on an eye-to-eye -eye conversation to talk about human-centric leadership uh, for better and thriving tomorrow. Um, and maybe you can share what has drawn you to the Future of Leadership Salon and this format and the group. 
you know, it's very was very. Uh, I'm gonna make this a very personal story, if if mm. you allow me to. Of course. Um, it, uh, the the person and the brain behind it, Eve Simon, she invited me. She asked me if I would come as one of the thought leaders, and because you know, what better forum to talk about human capacity and and uh, humanizing leadership in in the context of a company, what I do myself, and really bringing the dialogue and the conversation around vulnerability, openness, all the things we talk about, um, we don't talk about, and they actually connect us. Mm. Having that dialogue and having it in an intimate setting, in an intimate setting with senior leaders, where they really come in for a day, day and a half and are super focused just on that, on how their own behavior and, and bringing back from that catalytic moment of 24, 48 hours into their own organization, the world can shift and change in a nucleus, which then becomes tribal, which then becomes a movement. That's what this is about. And this is what intrigued me. Mm, yeah, amazing. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you there and um, some of the other brilliant people that will join us. And I think, yeah, also this small and intimate setting to really have some, yeah, vulnerable conversations where we already talked about as well. I'm very much looking forward to that. And I think we already given a lot of content of things for people also to follow up and to look at. But maybe as a final thought, do you have something or somewhere um, where you would say if people are interested in these conversations around leadership, around how we build a better tomorrow in our companies, in our communities, where would you point them at? What is your to-go-to resource? Do you watch TED Talks, podcasts? Is there something that you um, would recommend them to look at? You know, read books. There's a mm -hmm. lot of great books out there. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, I, I think, engage in dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of really the, 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 the jumping board for me. A lot of times I, I, I expose myself to certain conversations. To give a perfect example, tomorrow morning, I'm part of a panel which talks about assertiveness of women in business. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, these are the kinds of things which I think the more you expose yourself in dialogue and situations which Are, are challenging you further to think about uh, uh, other subjects. I think that's a big part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, there's a, you know, reading a book uh, every week, if you can do that, um, that's a great advice piece. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, thought leaders which inspire me. I mean, one guy who I really, really enjoy uh, on the inspirational side is Robin Sharma. Um, he's fantastic. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of alignment between what I talk about and how he talks about things, particularly with the entrepreneurial connection, because I think every great leader needs to have an entrepreneurial spirit somewhere because that ultimately yes. shifts uh, into the next uh, elevated level. So I don't have just one go to source. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to disappoint you with my with my with my response. <laughs> no, on the contrary, that's a lot. And I think what I find this piece of um, exposing yourself to dialogues and maybe also to a bit uncomfortable dialogues very interesting. Is there something yeah. I mean, if you're not invited to panel, what where would you say where can we find these dialogues? Would you recommend people to also, for example, go to events that are a bit out of their comfort zone? Or is there like because I think that's a very good one to really open your open your horizon your mindset to things as well yeah you know mm -hmm. i talk a lot about the conformist and conformity mm -hmm. makes us very very comfortable mm. so really identify some things where you're very very comfortable and then go do the opposite me and with our listeners and i'm very much looking forward to continuing these conversations with you in Düsseldorf, and hopefully some of our listeners will join us there too thank you uh, thanks for having me thank you 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are interested to join and further this conversation, join us in Düsseldorf on the 4th of July. There are a very few tickets left. You can head to www.futureofleadership.sanon. It's also in the show notes. And of course, it will be very exciting to see you there and meet Stefan and me in person. Next week, we have Achim joining us. He helps C-suite leaders around the world to show up with relaxed authority and establish a vibrant personal connection. He has a very interesting career path as well. And I am looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. Hope you all tune in, hear you next week. All the best, your Rona. Thank you.